Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day. Welcome once again to another episode of So A Married Horror Fan. This is episode number 74. Getting it right this time. <laughs> Mate, we are fast approaching 100 episodes. We are. <coughs> well, I mean, technically we've done over 100 episodes. But, but canonical ones. Canonically. Canuclapook. Canuclapook. We. Hello, I am Simon. I'm Lee. And we are rapidly uh, going through our space horror month. Mm -hmm. We are here today to talk to you about a loose space horror movie. Uh, this is more of an action movie. I wouldn't say it's... I think this is more of a horror movie than the previous film we... Film, previous two films we've covered. And to be fair, it's probably more of a horror movie than the last movie we're going to cover. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen Ghost to Mars in a while, so I can't remember whether Ghost to Mars is scary. I don't know. Um, but we'll talk about that next week. Um, today, we are covering, for episode number 74, the Chronicles of Riddick, colon, Pitch Black. Mm -hmm. Or... Just pitch black. Pitch black. Yeah. Before Vin Diesel learned about going to the extreme with Ramstein or family, he was a space pirate guy, I guess. I don't really know what he's supposed to be. Mad Max in space is what this feels like to me. Okay. Sure. He's not really a space pirate, but I don't really... He's like a military man turned convict... Maybe he's a rapist? I don't know. I know he's a murderer. We'll talk about it. Yeah. We'll talk about it. But yeah, so we're talking about the 2000 film Pitch Black. You ready to feel really old? This movie's 22 years old. Shut up. Um, so this movie was written and directed, well, directed by David Thwoey. Thwoey, I think it is. I think you pronounce his name like you pronounce travel agents. Tui, <laughs> I think. And then it was written by Jim Wheat, Ken Wheat and David Tui. The Wheats and the Tui. David Tui, who is actually responsible for all of the Riddick films as well. Yes. He, this is yeah. his and Vin Diesel's baby, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See, this is the thing I keep saying, and I'll say it when... I'll let you do this first, and then I will, I will talk about okay. it. Okay. Cast-wise, we have... Ryder Mitchell as Carolyn Fry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cole Hauser as William J. Johns. Yeah. Vin Diesel as Richard B. Riddick. Mark Sinclair as Richard B. Riddick. Keith David as uh, Abu Imam Al-Walid. Good. Vaguely proud of that one. Louis Fitzgerald as Paris P. Oglivy. Ogilvy. Ogilvy, thank you. Claudia Black as Sharon Shazza Montgomery. Rihanna Griffith as Jack. Uh, John Moore as John Zeke Ezekiel. Simon Burke as Greg Owens. And then Liz Chantry as Suleiman. And there's also the two kids who are Sam Sari, who plays Hassan, and Firas Durrani, who plays Ali. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of it. There's like... Five other cast members, but none of them really make it past the first twenty minutes of this movie. Yeah. So. <clears throat> yeah. One of them though is uh, Ken Tui, who is one of the travellers in the Crow Chambers. Nice. Fun side note for you. So this movie was made. Are you ready for this? On a twenty-three million dollar budget. Made fifty-six. 
made $53 million. So it made a $30 million profit. And I imagine it was cheap as fuck to make and cheap as fuck to promote as well. Because I don't think they spent a lot of money on marketing it because they had nothing to market. They did not. They were... They they were not marketing it off of the back of like Vin Diesel being a massive star because Vin Diesel hadn't really done anything at this point. That is very true. Um, yeah, so they wouldn't have really. Do you know what is weird though? Vin Diesel. Uh, do your synopsis first, and then we'll get into it. Yeah. I... So the synopsis for this movie is as follows. Thank you, IMDb. <clears throat> A commercial transport ship and its crew are marooned on a planet through a blo- full of bloodthirsty creatures that only come out to feast at night. But then they learn about they learn that a month long <coughs> eclipse is about to occur. Mm-hmm. They come out at night mostly. They only come out at night and sometimes in the day. Um, yeah, the weird thing about this movie is Vin Diesel, even though he's not a star. Is coming off of the back of being in Saving Private Ryan. Yes. When he does this movie, because everyone always forgets he's in Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. Like there's, a, I mean, there's a lot of fucking people. I'm pretty sure Nathan Fillion's in that fucking movie. I there's a lot of people in that me. fucking movie. So this was 2000. Yeah, and so- I think I'm pretty confident Saving Private Ryan was either 98 or 99. 98. Yeah. So he had literally done. You ready? Awakenings, which was his first ever movie. Mm-hmm. He was in a short called Multifa- Multifacial, mm-hmm. which is a short. Uh, Strays, which was like his first credited role. Mm-hmm. Saving Private Ryan and... Private Pri- Ryan? <laughs> Private Ryan. And then he was the voice of the Iron Giant. Yeah, yeah. And then Zone, yeah. Chronicles of Riddick, Pitch Black. Yeah. And then... Oh, no, sorry. And then Pitch Black. So there was a... TV movie called The Chronicles of Riddick into Pitch Black. Mm-hmm. Then Boiler Room and then Pitch yeah. Black. And the year after this, he did The Fast and Furious. Yeah, but that's what I was saying to you. He had a fucking solid run. So he had... And now, I'm going to get fucking crucified for saying this because of the level of actors and the level of characters that I'm going to talk about. But he had a level of creating iconic characters. Three quote-unquote iconic characters and franchises in two two years, years, which is akin to the run that fucking Harrison Ford had in the 80s, when in the space of the same five-year period, he played Rick Deckard, Han Solo, and fucking Indiana Jones. So in a five-year period, this is just five years, starting from Pitch Black of... I want to call, I want to go say Dominic Toretto's career then of <laughs> Diesel's career. D- Diesel mania. It is so we'll, we'll discount the TV movie and Boiler Room. We'll start with Pitch Black. Pitch Black, Fast and Furious, Knock Around Guys, Triple X, and Man Apart, Chronicles of Riddick, and The Pacifier. Yeah. In five years, he did seven films. Yeah. See, this is the thing with Vin Diesel. I really do think Vin Diesel peaked early. Yeah. But Vin Diesel kind of did that thing that a lot of actors do nowadays. He settled into a franchise and basically, or in his case, a few franchises, and basically doesn't have to do anything else outside of that. Because, I mean, he's in the MCU, and I don't know how much money he gets for voicing Groot. 
I imagine he has a set fee and it's very easy work, but... Thing is, so I always, this always gets me with people whenever we talk about, whenever anyone talks about Vin Diesel voicing Groot. It's because I've heard people go, oh, he literally goes in and says, I am Groot and he's yeah. done for the day. Groot is a character who he, he says, I am Groot. That is his lines. You know what he's saying though, because Vin Diesel does do a really great job of voicing yeah, yeah, Groot. Yeah. Not only did he do that though, he then went... Oh, well, while I'm here, I'll just do it in all the other languages as well. Save yeah. you paying someone else to do it in another language. And the thing is, I think a lot of people... Man put work in for Groot. Yeah, like... I think the thing is as well, I think a lot of people misunderstand the fact that he says, I am Groot. Because I know for a fact, from interviews with James Gunn, he has a completely separate script to that what everybody what else has. Saying. So he has to know all of the like inflections and all that stuff. But I mean, MCU aside, because that, I mean... That's not. I. I don't. I can't imagine that's a huge money maker for him. He must have like a set fee for. Vo- it, it's a voiceover job. Like mm. it's voiceover work. But he he created essentially three characters for himself. He did mm. try to spawn two other franchises with Babylon AD and The Last Witch Hunter, both of which were shite. Um, I've seen The Last Witch Hunter. I cannot tell you a goddamn thing that happens in that movie, but. We had this discussion earlier, and I will continue to have the discussion with anybody that wants to listen. So, I was reading about Fast X earlier. We are now 21 years, by the time Part 10 comes out, 22 years removed from the first Fast and the Furious movie coming out. That franchise has now spawned eight sequels, a spin-off, and is a billion-dollar global tentpole franchise. Mm-hmm. I was saying to you earlier, they have spent, they're spending $300 million making this next one, right? And Triple X... I don't think Triple X, the franchise, makes a lot of money. Um, I don't really know, dollars to donuts, how much those movies cost to make to how much they actually make at the cinema. Yeah. Also, on a side note, I've looked it up. Apparently, Vin Diesel has got paid thirteen million per film for Groot. Thirteen million. Thirteen million. He's currently made fifty-four million, approximately. What? So that's Groot. for two Guardians movies, Infinity War and Endgame. It's not bad work, I guess. No. But this is what. So anyway, back to back to what we were saying. I don't understand how the Fast and the Furious is the franchise that took off. Yeah. I've always, like, I always think, like, and I thought this when Chronicles of Riddick came out, because I said on last week's episode that I hadn't seen Pitch Black, but I actually have, and I don't, I just didn't remember seeing it. But I think it's because, so this is the thing that pisses me off. So Triple X is a garbage movie. He bailed on that movie, that franchise, after one movie. They replaced him with Ice Cube, and then he came back for the third movie. He bailed on Fast and Furious at one point, now he talks about how Fast and Furious is like the thing that saved his life and like he talks about mythology and all this bollocks. Um, but then like I don't understand where the energy from Universal is. If Universal had played their cards right, the Chronicles of Riddick, if they put the money into it, the Chronicles of Riddick mm. could have been the next great sci-fi franchise. They um, uh, And like I'm being serious, they could have had... Star Wars, Star Trek level franchise on their hands because the second movie does such an interesting job of like world building. It shows you all the different races, the different armies, the so different political stuff. So I can tell stuff. you exactly what the problem with the Riddick franchise is. 
So the second movie, Chronicles of Riddick, got a big budget. Yeah. $105 million. Which is like five times as much as... It made one hundred and fifteen. That is why Universal kind of just went, now fuck this franchise. Yeah, but in Venice, those first couple of Fast and Furious movies made fuck all money and they kept making them. Mm. I don't... This is what frustrates me because Riddick is arguably outside of Groot who was already a great character, Riddick is by far the best character that Dom... Dom Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel has <laughs> ever played. And, like, I don't understand why we're making these fucking car movies when there is a franchise here that is ripe for reinvention. You okay. could put some of the fucking skills and people and money behind So I have thoughts Riddick. and feelings about this. So Vin Diesel left the Fast and Furious franchise after the first movie. Everyone is aware of this. Yeah. He came back and did a guest spot in Tokyo Drift. Which yeah. Is the, for anyone who's not part of the Fast and Furious fan base, let me tell the you. The family. The third one. If you're not part of the family, guys. Which is the third one. Vin Diesel does a cameo at the very end of the film. Vin Diesel did that cameo. So this was 2006. Basically, he waived his fee and said to Universal, you give me the rights to Chronicle to yeah. the Riddick franchise, I will appear in a Fast and Furious movie. Yeah. So they gave him the rights. So Vin Diesel now owns the rights to Riddick, which is how the third film got made. And but how it was still distributed by Universal, wasn't it? I think it was still distributed, but technically the rights are owned by Vin Diesel. Yeah. So he can make the movie if he wants yeah, and I then think, shop out the rights. Yeah, basically. I think what he did was he remortgaged his house, but then Universal still distributed it. Like, yeah. they put up some of the money or something. I don't know if they put up any of the money, but I know he basically he went back to the Fast and Furious franchise and remortgaged his house to make, make it, Riddick. Yeah. Now, there's a fourth film coming out, Furia. Mm-hmm. And everyone keeps saying, oh my god, there's so many Fast and Furious movies. Why does Vin Diesel keep making Fast and Furious movies? I can tell you now, Vin Diesel keeps making Fast and Furious movies so that he has the money to keep making Riddick movies. Because I don't know how much it will have cost, but I'm assuming Furia will be quite an expensive film. Yeah. Because it's from what it looks like, it's delving a lot. He's going back to his home planet where he's yeah. originally from, dealing with who Riddick actually is. Yeah. That's not going to be a cheap movie to make. So I'm guaranteeing you now, Vin Diesel is all like, family, mythology, I love Fast and Furious, because he's like, if I can keep making these, I can make money to fund the project I actually am dying to make. I mean, he wasn't the one who was actually dying to make Fast and Furious movies. That well, no, I'm on, about, I'm on about <laughs> the Pitch Black films, babe. Yeah, Not Fast and Furious. Also, we don't joke about Paul, Paul Walker. It's a very sad thing. And I'm still slightly traumatised. But, yeah, I mean, that's why... I don't understand why fucking Universal dropped the ball so hard with this franchise. Because the second film... Yeah, I guess in 2004, it was a bigger deal. Like, movies like that, losing that amount of money now, is less of a big deal. Yeah. Because the thing is... The but pro- 2004, a film only making $10 million on a yeah. $105 million budget literally they go nope we're done that's it you're not getting any more we're finished but the thing is like we're in a landscape now where this is a franchise that could exist solely on a streaming platform mm. like I think part of it is though is it's now owned by Vin Diesel and mm. I think as I referred to it at the beginning of the film it's, it is Vin Diesel's baby mm-hmm. and I think he wants to make it his way 
and it's his way or the highway. Much like everything. <laughs> Much like any anything with Vin Diesel. But I feel like with this, he's very, very, very protective of it. It's like, it's his child. Yeah. Like, man remortgaged his house Yeah. to make one of them. Mm-hmm. Like, if that's the dedication to something. Yeah. I get we're not it. here to talk about the other three Riddick films or Fast and the Furious. I know you all might be confused about that fact. <laughs> we're not actually here to talk about any of that. We're here to talk about Pitch Black. Mate, the, I... the first... <clears throat> tiny baby that Vin Diesel birthed. Honestly, I'm legit surprised that in Fast and Furious 9, when they went into space, like, Riddick wasn't just there. <laughs> like, <laughs> floating, pa- floating past. Also, I'll be very clear, like, worst I had bitching about Fast and Furious movies, we have gotten to see the last four of them in the cinema. Um, I've seen everything from seven onwards. I've seen cinema. everything from four onwards at the cinema, but, like, together, I think we've seen the last four. Yeah, we saw seven, eight, nine, and we saw Hobbs seven, and Shaw. Eight, nine. Yeah, so we've seen the last yeah. four. I've seen everything since the fourth one in the cinema because I love the Fast and Furious franchise. I I saw the first few on DVD. The, actually, the first movie is one of the first three DVDs I bought when I had a DVD player. Mm-hmm. I bought that, Bring It On, and Swordfish. This movie is the movie that made me watch the Fast and Furious franchise because I fell a little bit in love with Vin Diesel watching this film. Can we can we talk about Vin Diesel for a minute? We can. Like, I mean, what... it's all we've done thus far, but please but like, continue. Before we get really into the meat and bones, what the fuck happened to Vin Diesel? <sighs> Vin, Di- Vin, like, Vin Diesel's one of those actors. Like, he... I hate to compare people, because especially these three guys, because I know they all fucking secretly hate each other. And the whole thing about their contracts and stuff. But... I feel like people like Vin Diesel, there's people like Vin Diesel, there's people like The Rock and there's people like Jason Statham that are not good actors. Mm-hmm. They are good at a certain type of acting mm-hmm. and they can do very specific things very, very well. Is, and though, it has served them well. The thing is, though, is you say that about Vin Diesel. Like, you watch this movie. Vin Diesel's a really good... I feel weird calling him Vin. Like, I keep going to just call him Vin. I'm like, I can't do it. I'll see the full name. Does a really good job in this film of, like, actually acting. Yeah, but this is what I mean. And I think this is kind of, like, where he maybe got comfortable. Because the minute he started just smashing out Fast and Furious movies, I think the only things he's done since the Fast and Furious franchise got successful, since they came back for five, I think the only things he's done... Is that last Witch Hunter movie. Mm-hmm. Bloodshot. Bloodshot. And then the Guardians movies. And that's literally and it. And the return of Xander Cage. Yeah. But like that's not really a fucking stretch, is it? No. I mean that So There's another one of those coming out as I well. I feel like right? he just kind of got into this groove where he just kind of feels like you see some of his early work, like you see his performance in Saving Private Ryan, you see him in this movie, you see him... in the first Fast and Furious movie. Yeah, but even stuff like The Boiler Room and like Man Apart, which are like, not serious, serious roles, but they're like, he's playing a different kind yeah. of character. I feel like you watch, the older, the more of these movies he makes from these three franchises, the more I find it hard to distinguish between Dom Toretto and Xander Cage and Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel and Riddick because it feels like they all have just become variations on a theme and this is what I, this is what I find really interesting like what is he gonna do when Fast the Fast and Furious is no more in two years time this franchise that franchise is over so does he just pivot and start just knocking out triple x movies every year or start knocking out 
like Riddick movies every year. Like it's it's going to be really interesting to see what he does. And like the thing is, like you look at the Riddick that is in this movie, and then you look at the Riddick that is in Riddick, and they barely feel like. I haven't seen Riddick in a really long time, so I can't really because I don't remember the film very well. They barely feel like the same character, and I'm not saying that because it's a personal growth thing. It feels kind of just like somebody just wakes Vin Diesel up in the morning and presses his like Riddick button, and he's like, "I will be Riddick today," and then they press like. The thing is, though, it's like. I, I see what you're saying, but also, like, I feel like basically what's happened is. If you, I don't know if you've ever seen interviews with Vin Diesel. Unfortunately, yes. No, like, before he was all like, it's all about family, family is everything, fast and furious, oh, in my blood. Like, older interviews where he's like, literally, there's an interview, I think, from. It might be from. Alan Carter? No. <laughs> Jonathan Ross, maybe. Where his daughter, he rings his daughter and he's like in the middle of the interview on the phone with his, like, at the time I think she was like three or four. Is this Paula? No, 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 no. His youngest, his His oldest oldest one. And he's on the phone with her and he's like, oh, look who I'm with. Like, I know how I'm like. And he's like, he's very much like if anyone's ever seen The Pacifier. Yeah. Like when he starts acting cute with the baby in The Pacifier. That's kind of who he is as a person IRL. And then you see the characters he plays and I'm like, well, this is what I mean. Like, and I don't want to cast aspersions on the guy's personality because he's hench as fuck and probably knock my teeth out. Probably. But he went from being this really jovial, like, hey, hey, I'm Vin Diesel, what's up? Corona's for everybody to, I have to stop working with him for my mental health mm. kind of person. And it's like, it's so fucking weird seeing this, like, and I want to, I'd love to know, I'd be fascinated to know what happened from this guy who, like, seemed to revel in making these movies and genuinely seemed to be having fun and enjoyed making them and promoting them to this guy who's become this really fucking bitter gatekeeper of, like, these are my franchises, it's my way or the highway, everybody can suck it kind of guy. And I'm like, I'm sure some of that is the death of Paul Walker. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure some of it is just, like... But at the same point, like, it it always seems very odd to me because you see people who actually know him and are like friends with him and like you look at the cute things he did like so like he walked Paul Walker's daughter down the aisle because her dad couldn't be there and like he's really close with Paul Walker's family and he like spends a lot of time with them and I don't know if half of it is just like he feels like he has to be that guy to be Dom Toretto and that's who he needs to put forward and he's a really different guy behind closed doors yeah like he suddenly became it's it's some but I do miss it we're going to stop talking about Vin Diesel in a minute, I promise. I do miss it, because like, when Fast Five came out, there was a load of jokey shit that happened. Mm. Uh, like, Sung Kang did a fucking talking cars with Sung Kang. Yeah. Go look it up on YouTube, it's fucking hilarious. Like, Vin Diesel was in it, like, other members of the yeah. cast were in it, and they were being really dumb. And yeah, like, all of that stuff seems to have stopped around the franchise now. Yeah. And I'm like, where's the fun stupid I mean. videos like, of, like, you guys being idiots together? You look at the three main characters that he's known for, and they are effectively the poster boys for toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder if at some point, being this macho fucking bullshit hard man in so many films and for so long over a prolonged period of time, whether it just bleeds into who you are as a human being. I don't know, because I'm not an actor. But you know what I mean, though? It does kind of seem... He's not he's not reaching Jared Leto levels of being a cunt, but he's certainly starting to get a reputation for being the meathead that he is in these fucking movies. And I just find it fascinating that he went from like, hey, hey, man, 
I'm the fucking Dungeons and Dragons guy. What up? To I'll fucking smash a Corona bottle over your head. You can't do what I say. Yeah, and the thing is, it makes me a little bit sad because I do love Vin Diesel. And that is why he is perfect as Riddick. Yes. Just right. <laughs> <laughs> segue back into the film we're actually talking about. So how? So you say you have seen Riddick before? Yeah. When we were watching it, I was like, there are definitely moments of this I remember. Um, I don't remember the creepy parts of him so much like because there's like there's little bits in this movie where he's kind of creepy and i'm just like are you a sexual predator or not like there's the scene where fucking carolyn is talking to what's his name the guy who cole hauser plays uh johns and like he sneaks up behind her and he cuts her hair and like he's got a bit of her hair and he's like blowing it away so with all of that stuff because i have seen i'm always like that's so weird but I think what he's actually doing at that point is because he smells it first. I think he's trying to get her scent down because he knows that she's working with John. So he knows he needs to avoid her. Yeah. And that's why I was like... Because he has a really good sense of smell. Like yeah. That is explained. Like, we know that from the film. He has a really good sense of smell. I was smell. like, it just comes off a little like predatory. And I'm like, we know he's a convict, but it's never elaborated on what his actual crimes were. That's why I said to you at the beginning, I was like... Is he maybe a rapist? I was no, like, so he's right. definitely a murderer. Like, we know that, don't we? So basically, he was in the military. Yeah. And he worked on uh, a place called Sigma 3. Mm-hmm. He spoke out about the enforcing security on Sigma 3 and basically told everybody living there was akin to slavery. Right. Uh, and the company basically got rid of all of the evidence and had him sent to prison. Yeah. So that's how he ended up in prison. Like, he gives these big stories of, like, he killed people and stuff. But no, he was trying to do the right thing. And they covered it up and threw him in jail. I'm assuming in prison he became... Yeah. A murderer. So basically, what he did was he got the script for Escape from New York and just wherever it says Snake Plissken, he just crossed it out and wrote Riddick. Sure. Because that's basically... I've never seen That's basically Snake Plissken. Um... But yeah, I mean... I mean, it's most anti-heroes in movies. They try to do the right thing. Somebody shoves them down, they become an anti-hero. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But the thing I love about this movie, and it's kind of like... It's kind of like the last couple of movies we've reviewed. This movie is way more sci-fi. This is more of a pulpy science fiction. We know it's fiction. There's aliens and world building, like, other than the last two movies we covered. But the thing I love about this movie is they they set it up... Like, they set up the threat in two parts in this movie. Mm-hmm. Because they set it up kind of like it's going to be like a weird cat and mouse kind of slasher movie. Almost kind of like, holy fuck, we're stranded on this island with this fucking serial killing like mass murderer who's like going to murder us all and we need to fix the ship so we can get away from him. Mm-hmm. And then it pivots into actually i'm not the big bad yeah we we kind of need this guy because he's gonna fight the weird pterodactyl bat things like the fucking weird dragon i don't fucking they're weird they got like a pterodactyl beak with a dragon tail and like bat wings i think yeah they kind of look like what's really interesting because i don't really touch it in the film but you see three different versions of the monsters yeah so you see the big pterodactyl things which mm-hmm. are i think close to final stage yeah the swarm because they they're the ones that are in the swarm aren't they no 
So the first swarm that comes out are the smaller ones that right. are about bat size. The ones that look like the fucking baby bats from Van Helsing. Yeah. So the little ones, and then it's the big, big, massive things. But the little glow-in-the-dark bugs they use, mm-hmm. that's the larvae form of them. Oh, fucking hell. Jesus. So it's the, you see the whole life cycle of what they... The le- like the levelling up, I guess, if no. this were a video game. But yes, the little larva you see, the little glowing beetles, that's actually the larval form of the monsters. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, like I like I like that a note for everyone. I like that as a premise because the problem is the movie does away very quickly with the Riddick as a threat plot. Because there's two sides to that. There's like, hey man, Riddick's like they're like, hey man, he might kill us. But then he's like Maybe I could get these guys to kill each other. So, because he's a, he's a little bit of a shit stare. He's kind of like, hey man, like so, if I get these dudes to fucking kill each other, I don't then... think that's ever kind of his plan. There's certain people he definitely wants dead. John's. John's. Um, but the rest of the <laughs> the rest of the crew, I don't think he really cares one way or another if they survive or not. Like he's not fussed. He's but not he sentimental, let's them, put it that way. Yeah, he needs them to help. I mean, to be fair, if you got thrown in prison for trying to do the right thing, I think I'd stop being sentimental pretty fucking quickly. Especially if it was like the prison he was in, which is basically just a black hole in the earth where they put the worst of the worst. <laughs> I'd be like, I think I'm over the sentimentality. Thanks, guys. I think the only thing I'd be sentimental for is using soap without getting PTSD. Yeah. Um, but like, so there's like, he's only really... And to be fair, I think he'd have, if John's would have made it to the end, he'd have probably just killed him. Yeah. Just so he's out of the way, because John's is the person who's been hunting him the entire time. Yeah. Um, but I like that they do away with the Riddick cat and mouse quite quickly, because they kind of lead you in, and they're like, "Oh, Riddick's the villain." It's Riddick the like the movie because oh, it's called the first movie's called Pitch Black. Yeah. So when you first saw this movie, before it was the Chronicles of Riddick, you would probably go into it going, "So Riddick's the villain. That makes sense. Yeah. He's, he's the bad guy." We've and just... then when they because it's about forty minutes in, they do the half an hour in, yeah, they do yeah. the switcheroo, and you see the monsters for the first time. Yeah, because there's that awesome shot where Caroline, Caroline, is in the fucking room and she clicks on the like glow stick. And you see it like scurrying across the back of the wall. It's very descenty. That scene reminds yeah. me very much of the descent. But I think because of the creatures in this movie, this is probably the closest to an outright horror movie we have covered thus far. Because it's kind of it's a space action movie, but it's also a monster flick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a weird creature movie. I mean, you think this is a good creature movie. Wait, wait till you watch fucking Starship Troopers and you see some fucking lava spewing bugs rolling around. Sure. You're gonna, you, if you like this movie, you're going to love the crap out of that movie. Okay. Um, but yeah, like, I do... My, 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 so my pros of this movie is I love the three colour palettes in this movie. Mm. I love the fact that there are, like, a lot of steel greys and icy blues... I love the fact that there are a lot of like oranges and browns because um, there are sequences in this that look like Mad Max, yeah. uh, Fury Road specifically. Um, and I do wonder if they actually filmed it in some of the same places they filmed Fury Road because um, this was filmed in Australia. Australia. <laughs> yeah, and I think they filmed Fury Road in Zimbabwe and Australia. Uh, maybe then. So it, w- it wouldn't surprise me if they used that stretch, stretch of desert for the um, sandstorm sequence. Mm. Um yeah, I love the contrast and colours. There's a really awesome fucking green scene in this movie where him and Johns are fighting. Yeah, and it's in a ca- like in a cave. 
and it's, it's out in it's out in or where it's it's somewhere it's just out like in the desert black isn't it it's dark. Well, it's at night yeah and, and they've just, got the green glow sticks yeah, to light it's just it. illuminated green which is really cool and then obviously i just like the darkness mm. um i think the i think the color style um and then there's like a weird purple color isn't there yes. when you're seeing in quote unquote riddick vision it's like a red and purple yeah mix, it's like a it? violet-y color um, I think the Riddick vision is really cool. It's a really interesting plot idea as well to give yeah. him basically like night vision. I feel like the only thing that lets this movie down in hindsight is its age. I feel like the budget and the age of the movie work against it when you watch it in a vacuum 21 years later. The creatures, <laughs> the creatures being CGI, I think... For the most part, there are a lot of sequences where you can get away with them being CGI, i.e. the swarms and things like that. But there's a scene where it looks like he's going to have a fist fight with one of them. You could have easily done that practically and it would have been fairly cheap to do it practically. You would, you could have literally just put a dude in a suit and it would have been fine. I think it would have aged the movie but a lot also, better. also, it would have been building the suit to look like the creature. It would have been very expensive. Because yeah. those creatures are quite intricate. But I feel like there's... Certain scenes, I feel like there's a la- a certain lack of atmosphere in this movie. Like once once they drop the whole Riddick is the threat thing and they move to the creatures. I can't, I don't know what the creatures are called. I'm sure I don't, they have I'm name. sure there's some fucking dude out there on Riddick Wiki that will be able to fucking tell me what the creatures. Sure, I'm are gonna called. go on Riddick Wiki and have a look. I'm gonna call them Hammerdactyls because they look. Why not? Because <laughs> they look like fucking hammerheads pterodactyls. But yeah, there's like, there's no, this is the thing like that kind of makes me stop short of it being like a genuine horror movie is they never like build tension. So like in Alien or in Mimic or Predator or stuff like that, you never see like any prolonged sequences. Bio-raptors. There we go. You never see any prolonged sequences of the people being hunted, which they're always like either the group are together and there's a bunch of them or, and they get picked off in a fracas or something like that. You never see like s- prolonged scenes of like someone's in a the dark. They've dropped a glow stick. A creature has come. That's scrambling to try and you know what I mean. Like you never get any of those like alien or like even like the sequence in fucking Jurassic Park where the kids are in the kitchen. You never get any of those really like oh shit I'm fearful. There's a fucking creature there. This person is on their own what the fuck are they going to do sort of situation. Yeah. Which I think sucks a little bit of the horror out of it because it it's played more like an action movie. As I said, when the creatures attack, they attack in numbers, but they usually attack the group. Like when Claudia Black's character, Sharon, gets attacked, she is with the group, the swarm come, they cut her in half. Um, and I feel like the movie could have benefited from having more of those prolonged sequences of people being stalked yeah. And potentially eaten by the bio I would give you that. Um, and that would have made it a more effective horror movie, especially that kid. There's that kid who idolises Riddick. You the put, girl. Yeah, you put that kid in a scene where she's in the dark with a glow stick, she drops it, and she's being hunted by a bioraptor. Yeah. Fucking gold, mate. Absolute gold. Also, just to, to pick you up, uh, the bioraptors were practical. Were they? Yep. Uh, the bioraptors were designed by Patrick... Tatapolosu. Tatopolis. Yep. And realised both as a practical creature built by John Cox and a significant number of CGI shots using double negative. There is not a scene in that fucking movie where I could have told you they were practical. Unless 
like I said, the one where Riddick is facing off with it mm. and they've got the overhead shot of it. That would make sense. It was only because I saw some pictures of them and I was like, yeah, look, there's like actual pictures of like parts of it. Yeah. So yeah, it was made practically or some of them were made practically. Yeah, I never would have fucking known. Mm. Yeah, I don't know, yeah. But then I guess that's part of the they lit them in the dark. You can't re- you don't really see a lot. And of the also the design, the way they're designed. Yeah, look, there's one of the practical ones. In mm. fact, the way they're designed, you wouldn't look at it and think, oh, that's practical because of how odd looking they are. Yeah. Um, but no, I would agree with you with the atmosphere in this movie. Just to go back to what you were saying, um, I would agree. Yeah, there were there could have been a few more scenes where like somebody was in peril and like. Because it doesn't really happen outside of, oh, fuck, the really annoying guy who's like, I thought it was dying France. I can't remember oh, yeah. his name. He was very irritating. Yeah, the fucking antiques dealer. Yeah. He's a prick. He's a prick. Um, He kind of gets cut off from the group and dies on his own. Yeah. Um, But the thing is, is though, I like the fact that as a general rule, they're as part of a group because they make smart choices. Yeah. Because every, every time we watch anything, I complain that they all separate. And in my head, I'm going, they do make smart choices. So I can't complain because my main complaint for most horror movies is, why did they split up? Yeah, they, but, they don't. But the thing is, it makes sense for them to split up in this movie. Like, the characters and their motivations, there's several motivations in the character But arts. once it turns dark, it doesn't make sense for them to split up because they know they need the light source. Yeah, but also what I'm and saying is... And also the person who can lead them, who knows where they're going in the dark, is Riddick. But what I'm saying is there are three characters in this movie who have character traits where it makes sense for them to be on their own. You have Keith David's character, mm-hmm. who you would have be on his own because he's religious. He would go off to pray somewhere and then he would get attacked. But that would be a dumb as fuck decision to yeah, make. Yeah, but it would be, he would be like oh shit, I'm on my own, I'm praying because I need to pray to get out of this situation. You have Cole Hauser's character, Johns, who is a fucking junkie, so he would sneak off to do drugs. Mm-hmm. And then you have Riddick, who really doesn't give a fuck about anybody. He's like, I can get my way out of this. Fuck the rest of these guys. Yeah. But the thing so it is, makes sense for him to be separate from the group. It would, but also, at this point, Riddick kind of needs them to a degree because he needs them to help lug all yeah, of Yeah, he needs to get stuff. off the planet. He needs to get off the planet and he needs them to help lug the batteries that they need for the other ship across the fucking desert Mm -hmm. while they try and avoid these monsters. Like, basically all the things you're saying are really fucking dumb decisions that none of them make. And if any of them had made those decisions, we'd both be sat here going, what a fucking dumb decision, why would yeah, you do that? but I'm just saying, from a character standpoint, you could easily write those scenes in the movie. and You could, really but instead it. what they did was like they would be smart in this situation because all of them want to survive and they know this is the safest place. <laughs> because instead of writing their characters to be absolute dipshits, like most horror, most horror movies, they actually made the characters meaningfully intelligent and Keith David's like I've been through this shit before man he's like I was in the Arctic well at this point as well if you think at this point he's already lost two of his group as well yeah because the two young boys die there's only him and the other guy left and he dies before the end of the film Mm -hmm. they all die yeah Riddick's the only one who doesn't die isn't he no 
Uh, Keith David's character and the little <coughs> girl survive. <coughs> yeah, everyone else gets fucking Everyone else punched. dies. Everyone else dies. They originally were going to kill Riddick, but they kept him for the sequel possibly because they were going to keep Caroline alive. Mm-hmm. But they thought Riddick would be the more successful character to carry over for franchise potential. Which is a good choice. Which is why they changed the ending and had him survive. The thing is, so I love this. I picked this movie because I love this movie. I, I've always been a huge fan of the Riddick franchise. Um... A, one of the only space movies I enjoy, in all honesty. I'm not a huge space fan, mm-hmm. as we discussed last. <sighs> Sorry, um, as we discussed last week. But um, yeah, no. See, I really like this film. I like that people make smart choices because it's constantly a complaint to me is that people make dumb decisions and end up dead. People still end up dead in this movie, but they make smart decisions and it's just unfortunate circumstances that lead to them dying, which yeah. I appreciate as a human because I'm like, if I was in that situation, I would be doing everything in my power to stay in a group because that's where you're going to be safest. Mm-hmm. I think I just lament for the fact that we had three R-rated movies, all of varying different qualities and varying different degrees. And I really do feel like Universal dropped the ball on this franchise and we could have had a really big, high-budget fucking space horror franchise. We did but we didn't. Because some of the world-building in these movies is fucking tremendous. Mm. It is, yeah. I mean, I like in this film, though, because the first one you don't really find out a lot. Like, you, Riddick kind of tells you vaguely what He's such an unreliable narrator. He's a really unreliable narrator, and it's really funny, because in this film, he basically, he tells... I can't remember the, the kids... Jack... He tells Jack that he his eyes he can see in the dark and his eyes glint because he paid off a doctor in prison to shine his eyes. And then in literally the next film you find out that he's a Furia. Furian. Furian. And that that's like a genetic trait of the Furians. And I'm like did, and I feel like part of me is like, did they forget that they said that? But then obviously it's Vin Diesel, it's the same writer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, they won't have forgotten. I feel like it was it's just a point of, like, in the first movie, his character is lying about most of the things he tells people about himself. Yeah, and that's what I like. I do like that about him. I do. He's also just a little shit. The thing I, the thing I like about Riddick as a character is he never really warms up. Like, you look at, you look at, like other characters in this situation and like they either become like they adopt a family or they like fall in love with someone and they shave the edges off i don't feel like they do that i don't think that's entirely true because he kind of warms to caroline carolyn carolyn he kind of warms to her especially to the end of the film when she actually physically fights him to go back to Mm -hmm. save um jacks and I cannot remember the character's name at all. But she she physically fights him and he literally leans down. He's like, you're so interesting. Hmm. Um, And he he helps her to go save them. Like, he could have easily killed her and left, but Mm -hmm. he doesn't. He goes with her to go save them. And he warms to Jax as well. Yeah, but he's not like these other fucking. Oh yeah, no, he's not like he's he's still all sharp edges. Mm. But I feel like by the end of the film, especially Jackson Carolyn, he would he willingly would fight to to save the two of them. Mm. 
And especially when <coughs> a big part of the end of this film is because Carolyn goes back for him. Because he's... He, he, they're just about to leave and he turns the ship off so he can kill as many of the monsters as possible mm. before he leaves. And I feel like part of that is because Carolyn died and he feels a bit like, you little assholes. I kind of... She was vaguely fun to be around. Do you also, know what I mean? side note, Richard B. Riddick and Drax are the same character. Okay. Okay. Which is something I found, I found interesting when I was watching this. Because I was like, I was remembering in the second Riddick movie, he has those like little weird knives, didn't he? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, they're both big, they're both bald, they're both hyperliteral, they have tiny knives, and they just want to murder everybody. Riddick and Drax are the same person. Yeah, not played by the same actor though, which is weird. Yeah, I also don't feel like if uh, Riddick stood still long enough, he would be invisible. <laughs> um, but no, I really like this film. I love the way this film is shot, and I love the fact so. The actual atmosphere they managed to make... Because they, they dropped acid. Am I right on this? Onto the film. Yeah, not... They didn't, like... <laughs> they, didn't they didn't drop they didn't, acid. They didn't sit in the fucking desert <laughs> taking acid. No. They put the film into acid to yeah. get, like... There's this really grainy, kind of vaguely washed out effect. Yeah. And it looks really cool. And it makes it quite difficult to age the film. Yeah, because there's... Uh, oh, excuse me. There's certain scenes in this movie that look like reverse negatives. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. And it makes it quite difficult to age the film, but also it does give it kind of that... You feel a little <coughs> bit like you're in the desert watching it. Yeah. This movie's also not as gory as I thought it was. No, it's not as gory as I remember it being, but it's been quite a while since I last watched it, in all honesty. Then, but, but then again, I don't think any of them, considering that all 15 rated, I don't think yeah, any of them are very gory. gory. No, I, don't I think the are. third one might be the goriest. Probably. And that has got Batista in it. It does. Uh, but no, I, I really enjoy this film. I like the acting as well. I've, I... This was the movie that basically put me firmly in I will watch everything Vin Diesel makes category. To the point I've watched <laughs> Babylon AD and I've seen it a couple of times. Like it wasn't like I watched it and went never again. I've seen it like two or three times. My, I think the biggest flex that Vin Diesel has ever done or ever has to his name is the fact that he manages to rope veteran actors into his fucking bullshit. They like, all love him Yeah, as he's well. got Keith David in this. Fucking Michael Caine is in fucking The Last Witch Hunter. Yeah, Judy Dench is in The Chronicles yeah, of Riddick. because he basically filled her dressing room with flowers and begged her to do it while she was doing some fucking play in London. Helen Mirren is... In love with him. Yeah, Kurt Russell's in a bunch of those Fast and Furious movies yeah. as well. He, like, just manages to, like... He- but then I feel like the Kurt Russell thing... Probably came from Guardians. Probably. Because they did Guardians together and then he yeah, was in... But um, Helen Mirren adores him. It's because she wants to shag him. She was... was it, there's an interview with her where she's, on about, she's been trying to get a kiss between the two of them. That's yeah. Of your it's because she wants <laughs> like, to shag him. That's all it is. But yeah, I do find it weird that he's got this weird flex of getting like these super cool veteran actors to just appear in like any old bullshit that he puts out. But this is, this is what I was talking about earlier, though, because everyone always talks about how much... Re- asshole he can be and how he's really difficult to work with and then on the other hand you have people like dame judy dench and dame helen Mirren who are sat there going no he's absolutely lovely judy dench is hilarious though because she's like he's really nice she's like i regret making that movie oh though. yeah she she's hates like, she hates she's, like, of she's like that movie is fucking nonsense but she loves him and this is the thing because everyone's always like i see like the 
director who's now walked out of Fast 10. Justin Lin. Justin Lin was all like, I can't work with him for my mental health. And then you literally have on the other side of the coin, Dame Helen Mirren, who I'm not going to lie, she's fucking Dame Helen Mirren. I believe anything that came out of her mouth saying he's the nicest guy ever and she adores him. Yeah, it's fucking weird. And I'm like, who is this man? Yeah. Who are you, Vin Diesel? I feel like he's actually secretly just really nice. No, I feel like Mark Sinclair is really nice. Vin Diesel. It's like a Jekyll and Hyde situation. Yeah, true, 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 um, true. What do you think of the other characters in this movie, in the crew? Because we always talk, because we've been doing space movies, you talk about the crew. Likeable crew or non-likeable crew? Everyone's a Well, prick. to be fair, actual crew-wise, there's only one member of the crew. Yeah, but like, I'm talking about like the ensemble. Um, the ensemble, I love most of the characters, even though I hate half of them. Yeah. Um, but I really love the way they're portrayed. John's, I hate with a fucking passion but he's played so well that i hate him so deeply in my soul but i feel like that about the character he plays in too fast too furious so the dude just plays cunts really well good bad guys um i love carolyn she's a really interesting character and the fact that she gets a really interesting character arc in this film as well. Mm-hmm. To say it's literally like she gets a full-blown character redemption arc. Yeah. Because she starts the movie wanting to kill all of the... Basically launch all of the people in the cryo chambers yeah. out of the ship and ends the film refusing to leave the two yeah, remaining. Yeah, she has like a sense of guilt, doesn't she? Yeah, like and she goes that. back, which I really love. I adore Jack and I love the fact we spend most of the movie basically being told Jack is a boy and I'm literally looking at him going with those eyelashes it's definitely a girl yeah <laughs> she she has a really 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 delicate girl face and they've just shaved her head and gone it's a boy and we're like mm, is it? they're like it's a negasonic teenage warhead <laughs> yeah exactly um the one person in this movie who it's weird to say this in a movie with a diesel in it who's phoning it in is uh claudia black she is essentially playing like a three times removed derivative version of the fucking character she plays in Farscape. Sure. Because she spent, like, I think Farscape went for four or five seasons. Yeah. It was one of those sci-fi shows that it has a dedicated fan base, much like Firefly, but like general populace didn't give a fuck about it. Yeah, um, it. And she was, she was basically on the front of like sci-fi magazine every other month. She was like the one thing that dudes were like jacking it to in the noughties. And um, I feel like she just plays another version of that character in this. Much like how I feel about K.E. Sackoff, though, she, in Riddick, she just plays a version of Starbuck. Um, but yeah, I think she's the only character. And to be fair, she's not in this movie very long before she gets fucking wasted anyway. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like she just does what she does, like sleepwalks through the movie until she gets fucking killed. But like it's a weird like it's weird watching this movie for the first time in maybe like ten years because I think there's like a weird mandala effect with this movie. A lot of people are like, Yeah man, there's like loads of creature action and it's mm. really gory and everyone gets fucked up and it's like aliens and I'm like, it's really not. Well it started its life out as Alien Three. Yeah. Along with the other fifteen billion scripts. There's a script for that. I think he I think I actually read this right. He had one of the ideas about the wooden planet, didn't he? Because yes. there was a whole thing with Alien 3. If you guys don't know, Alien 3, there was originally, it was meant to be set on a wooden planet. So there was going to be a wooden planet. And then that idea kind of evolved through various different scripts. Um, and I think one of the scripts that David Toohey worked on had it in it. 
one of the scripts that William Gibson worked on, as in William Gibson, the famous cyberpunk author, mm-hmm. the author of Johnny Mnemonic, um, he worked on a version that had like monks and a fucking wooden planet on it. Um, and then it became the Fury or whatever the ship is called, the prison planet. Uh, it became a prison ship eventually. But yeah, I didn't realise until I fell down a rabbit hole researching that movie a few years back. And um, yeah, there's like umpteen... And I think a lot of people's other scripts, much like this, just became other movies yeah. or comic books or they took bits here and there. Well, let's just talk about this movie's script, first and foremost. So this movie started its life off very differently. Yeah. So originally it was called Nightfall. Yes. And it was originally based around a woman called Tara Craig. Mm-hmm. Who That's the most generic yeah, human name ever. Is from an interstellar tribe of barbarians. Right. And she basically ended up crashing into a planet where, mm-hmm. on a ship, same as Riddick does in this movie. Yeah. But instead of it being creatures, it was originally ghosts of the creatures who had originally built the ruin, what were now ruins on this planet, who were trying to defend their homeworld. David Toohey's Ghosts of Mars. <laughs> yeah, and the planet was originally supposed to be called Hades instead of M six one one seven. Oh shit. There you go. Well, there you go. Very, very different film. <coughs> so. Oh, the desert scenes were filmed in the same location as a Mad Max movie, but it was beyond Thunderdome. We don't need another hero. Yeah, sure. Thunderdome's great. I love that movie. Another movie that started out as something completely different. Also, it was a massive um, influence behind uh, Planet of the Dead. Which is a Doctor Who episode. Yeah, I read that. And in my head I was like, that's when you know that you fucked up. When like Pitch Black is like the the reference point for one of your things. But it is, it, it's one of those movies. Like it's weird. Like we talked about Sunshine last week and how influential that still is. But like Pitch Black is still regarded as a, like a highly influential movie. Also, just a point. The top three build cast for that episode of Doctor Who. David Tennant. Mm-hmm. Michelle Ryan, mm. Daniel Kaluuya. Oh shit! There you go. Michelle Ryan, the bionic woman. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's fascinating because this is a movie like very rarely will people sit around and talk about good Vin Diesel movies, but this is one that generally, if you mention Pitch Black to someone, people are like, "Yeah, that movie's fucking solid. That movie's mm. good. It's a really good film." Um, and it's it's crazy to think that like. It's got an Arrow release, mm-hmm. and I'd love—I'd be fascinated to know what special features are on the Arrow release. But yeah, I mean, I just want more of these movies. I feel like this is the movie. I feel like this is the franchise that Universal should have bet on. Right. Before we end up going back on another tangent <laughs> about how Universal fucked it up and talked about Vin Diesel for another forty minutes. Do you want to give final thoughts and ratings? Because yeah. we've already spent quite a long time just talking about Vin Diesel. We don't want to go through it again. Um. I like this movie. Um, I do think, like I said, there are moments where this movie could have been improved. Um, And I feel like it is very much a product of its time and what filmmaking was like in the Mm -hmm. early 2000s. Um, I think it's held up incredibly well. I'd be very interested to see how well uh, Chronicles has held up in comparison. 
no, well, Chronicles came out like four years after. Yeah, and Chronicles is also gap. massively CGI. Is yeah. a huge use of CGI. Um, so maybe I'll go back and rewatch that, and I'll go and rewatch uh, Riddick at some point. But we've got all three of them. So yeah, it's it's a good movie. It's entertaining. Um, I think this is the best character that Vin Diesel's ever played. Um, can I have ten more of these, please? Uh, I'm going to give it a solid three out of five. Lola agrees with me. <laughs> Not if anyone can hear the dog barking. Um, so, I love this film. I think it's beautifully shot. I think it's really well paced. I adore the characters. I like the choices they make as well. Like um, hiding the Jacks a girl until the very end of the film. Mm-hmm. When Riddick ruins it for her. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, she's a girl. Did no one else know this? Just me? Okay. Um, Another Mad Max trope, having a weird little feral kid follow you around and idolise you. Like in I Mad mean, Max. she's not feral, but sure. Um, I think the the script's great. I love the creatures. I've always adored the creatures in this movie, though, to be fair. I think they're really interesting, like, monsters. Mm-hmm. Um... Probably my second favourite Vin Diesel movie. Mm-hmm. After The Pacifier. And rating wise, I'm going to give it a four and a half. Okay. Well, that's our thoughts on Pitch Black. Uh, have you guys seen it? Did you enjoy it? Do you think it holds up? Um, if not, come tell us in the comments. Let us know. Uh, let us know where you stand on the... Uh, the Vin Diesel debate. The Vin, the Vin Diesel of it all. Come tell us your opinions on Vin Diesel, because apparently we have some strong ones we didn't realise yeah. we had. Yeah. Um, we will be back on Friday with a Crossing the Stream episode where we will be looking at the 2021 horror comedy Black Friday, and we will return next Monday with regularly scheduled programming where we'll be looking at John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars. Sure. I realised we are going to do a John Carpenter month at some point, but the way we've rattled through John Carpenter movies already, I'm like, the fuck is going to be left? Um, But yeah, I mean, next week we get to talk about Jason Statham and Ice Cube fucking up Ghosts on Mars. (laughs) So that's going to be fucking wonderful. I can't wait to see your face when you watch this movie. Um, So yeah, join us as always on social media, S-I-M-A-H. S I M A H F pod on the Twitters. So I'm Aaron Horrorfan, all lowercase, all one word on it's Tumblr and still up Twitter. To um, go find our links in all of our social media to find where you can listen to all the podcasts. As always, we greatly appreciate everybody who listens, comments, shares, subscribes, all that stuff. We love you guys. We love everything that you do for us. Uh, we hope that you're enjoying the month of May. And uh, yeah, we will see you on Friday for Black Friday. Take care of yourselves, guys. Stay spooky, stay safe. Bye.